Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. Whether you are transforming yourself, your team, your business, or your community, we'll connect you with insightful and challenging leaders who share their stories of successful transformations to give you practical ideas for your own journey. Join us for another insightful episode of Creating Synergy. So welcome to the Creating Synergy podcast. Today we have Kylie Morton. How are you, Kylie? I'm good, thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. We're glad to have you. So Kylie has developed a deep appreciation for the value of work and the potential of people in her career as an enabler of improvement and change. As the enterprise leader for change management at BAE Systems Australia, she is building a team, a capability and an experience. And she hopes that she'll leave a long-lasting legacy and improve work for thousands of people. That's awesome. She's a lean Six Sigma black belt who is terrible at math. (laughs) We'll get into that. A failed graphic designer. We'll get into that as well. And a terrible hip hop dancer. (laughs) And a wannabe neuroscientist. Excellent. That's That's an awesome profile. (laughs) Thanks. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Great to be here. So, Kylie, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you... How did you get where you are today to become, you know, the the lead of change management within BAE, a big, massive defense company? Yeah, sometimes uh, I'm not sure how I got there, if I'm honest. Um, I think I am one of those people that just kind of just take opportunity when it presents itself. But um, it's probably a little bit more deliberate than that. I've been sort of actively pursuing that. 80-20 rule throughout my career. So I always find the thing that really gets me out of bed in the morning and then make sure that that's the bigger portion of my next role, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, So I started off working as a business analyst a long time ago um, and sort of slowly moved through business analysis into business improvement. Um, And that's when I became the black belt, which I don't really know how I got that accreditation (laughs) actually because I'm really terrible at maths. (laughs) That's what calculators are for. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think I I really enjoyed that role because I enjoy improving work. Mm. You know, I think people come to work to do a wonderful job and to leave feeling like they added value that day. And so much of the processes that we work with just kind of undermine that intention. Mm. And so I felt that as a, an improvement specialist that I would have, you know, great opportunity to kind of, you know, unpick that and, and make that better. And I think I did that classic, it feels sort of silly now, but I had that classic epiphany at some point, which was that the, it wasn't the processes or the, the logic behind improving a process that prevented work from being better. It was because we weren't considering the people that were involved yeah. in those processes. And so I kind of took a bit of a chance and applied for a job with BAE that was enterprise change manager. So I was kind of starting or establishing change management as a capability. Um, I don't even know how I got that job, actually. I think now, you know, I had such a strong continuous improvement background, you know, business analysis and Lean Six Sigma. It was Mm. really technical. But I know that I had a passion for making sure that people were considered and taken care of through those improvements. And I guess that must have shone through because I got the job. Well and, and it's been you. the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah. So how long have you been there now? Um, just over three years now. Three years. Yeah. And so I know a little bit about you. So yeah. you've built a team. Yeah, yeah. And, and quite a substantial yeah. team <laughs> yeah. around you, which is amazing considering that BAE Systems Australia mm-hmm. came from a place where change wasn't really at the forefront of their mind in the sense of, of thinking from a human, the human yeah. element. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your growth sure. within there and your and your ability to help them see the light, I guess, if that's the right <laughs> yeah, way okay. of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um I I started off as kind of one of, you know, single digit change managers in the business. I think there might have been two of us mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Um and, you know, was kind of asked to start from scratch, you Mm. know, really build awareness for what change management was and the value that it could bring. I think when I joined, I had this, um, 
I thought I thought that I was coming to an organization where that perhaps was already sold. That mm. you know that I, the reason I was there was because I already knew what the value was, mm, yeah. and it became um, apparent to me really early on that actually I was going to have to start right from the very beginning. And so my big dreams of you know big bank sponsorship and lots of training and you know leveraging off of an existing framework of some kind were kind of diminished really quickly. But then. Actually, that became this moment where I realised I had freedom to kind of do it my way. Yeah. Yeah. How good is that? Yeah. So Mm. good. Um, Especially from someone who had a background of always seeking to improve. Exactly. To be able to create is, yeah. Well, and also I kind of, um, I really like to be able to just pull together seemingly random and you know and disconnected theories and ideas and connecting them into what I'm working on and so you know working on change management in an organization that hadn't really done a lot in that space gave me the freedom to start to bring in topics around resilience for change and neuroscience and you know thinking about perhaps even you know AI and and automation and having that opportunity to think about what change might look like in not just two years' time but five and ten years' time. Mm. And I just don't know that many people get that opportunity. And I think what happened was rather than me having the benefit of people pulling from my capability, if that makes sense, Mm. so um, I had to go out there and just kind of gently offer what I had Mm. and, and I guess have faith that if, that brought value to them, they'd come back. And I think that's what happened. So um, there was no, uh, I guess, framework or anything that said, well, you know, change management is going to apply here or there or anywhere. Um, It was really because certain projects or certain areas of business recognised that they they wanted to do better and they wanted to think about their people and they'd ask for my help and I'd go help. And even if it was just this teeny tiny little bit, Mm. it was better than it might not have been. And then... That kind of grew something. So you're you're working for this behemoth business, <laughs> yeah, and, and thrown into a position where you and and a couple of others in your team have have to grow the change management capability within mm. the business. Like normally you start off small, yeah, <laughs> but you've gone straight into one of the biggest defence companies in Australia, yeah, to help them. Yeah, I don't know if that was deliberate. I reckon that was just an accident, actually. (laughs) But there's no real better way than learning to get thrown in the deep end, really, isn't it? Yeah. And no pun intended here, but you you see if the the ship would sink or or float, I guess, is where uh, where you're at in your in your career. Yeah. How did you, having knowing a little bit about the defence industry and just probably even the engineers and project managers that are delivering these projects that you guys are doing? Yeah. It's a very when I when I say aggressive, I mean fast paced environment. Yeah, yeah, let's get let's get shit done. Let's yeah. make sure we we hit it on time on target uh, to the best of budget as possible. Absolutely. How do you then pull these people back and say, well, hang on, we need to consider the journey that we're going along here? How do we, yeah, that's a that's a big thing. Yeah, and and we've not always been successful. I think mm. you know, just going back to that point around. Um, it would be easy to think, well, we did a bad job because we didn't pull them back as much as we should have or, mm. or could have. But I think the benefit comes from pulling them back even just a little because mm. then you know that next time they'll pull back just that little bit more because yeah. they've seen the value of that. So well, it's I, just it's planted in their head that they may need right. to pull back. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Mm. And what we've seen is projects that invited us, you know, or asked us for help at, you know, the 11th hour, you know, we're going mm. live tomorrow. Can you help us? now ask for help far earlier so it's I think it's been that sort of nudging approach that has helped to build awareness of what change managements can do Mm. I think the other thing too is that um I don't know if it's a myth or not about you know engineers um not kind of understanding that human element because I think it's I think I've just found a different tact yeah. is needed. We're, yeah. we're, we're painting them all with the same brush, which is which yeah. we, we shouldn't be. But yeah. yeah I mean, and the other thing, there's a spectrum, obviously, yeah, like everything. Um, but what I found is that when you explain sort of rationally and logically, you know, the science behind 
managing change, that it's not a soft skill, that it's actually, you know, there's really clear links to the way we, we react and the, emotion, the emotions that we have and the way that we feel and that these activities are not just because we kind of think they're right. It's because actually we know that if we communicate directly and we get eye contact, we're releasing oxytocin. Mm. And when we release oxytocin, we reduce anxiety. Like when you go to that kind of level, they go, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of... um, a practical way of explaining to people. I think that in itself is a skill that most people struggle with is finding... Okay, so there's this... I'll I'll explain it this way. There's this old... uh, saying treat others the way you want to be treated mm-hmm. right and to me i actually believe that's a myth i think it's treat mm-hmm. others the way they want to be treated oh yeah right that's speak to them in their language yeah right? if i'm gonna if i'm gonna speak to a, a team member who speaks a different language speaking in, in, with english as opposed to they might speak portuguese yeah it's a different world we're not speaking the same language therefore communication breaks down so yeah. it's about finding what helps them in their everyday environment. I think that's exactly what you've done there. Yeah, I think so. You've broken it down into practical steps. I think that's really important because every we know that people experience things from their own street corner. You Mm. know, they see things with the background of their perspective and that means that if I go in with mine, I might not always land it unless they're coming from a similar background or similar experience. And mm. we just know that that's almost never the case. Yeah. So there's a there's almost an element of being a bit of a chameleon, I think, when you're managing change. You have um, to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, managing people yeah. is, is really, yeah. <laughs> isn't it? It's about yeah. being adaptable. And, yeah. and, and I guess perspective, I think when you talk about street corner, the word perspective comes mm. into my, my, my mind where... I need to almost stand behind them and yeah. have a look at the same view that they're looking at yeah. and really understand, okay, I see that, I see that, I see that. Yeah. Let's put that in a way that we can help you yeah, absolutely. to get the result that the company needs or the, yeah. that the community needs or yeah. that, that our customer needs, whatever it might be. Um, this concept of, you know, you, your street corners, when I picked up in a previous workplace, um, when we started to talk about, you know, how do you build inclusive teams and – I think when you think about a street corner as being just, you know, the way that I see something first, actually, would it be helpful if I explain the whole kind of analogy around? Go share- for it. Yeah, okay. Let's do it. Um, so sharing a street corner is, you know, if you can imagine that you're in a busy intersection and it's a, you know, perhaps a, um, a cross junction yeah. and you're, you know, perhaps you're standing on one street corner and I'm standing on the other corner and there's a car accident and we might both see that same car accident um, but because we're on opposite street corners, we saw it differently. Mm. Neither of us were wrong. Both of our perspectives are entirely correct. They're just different. And so when we're working through, you know, working with leaders and working with teams around how people might see something, it's natural to go, oh, well, that's wrong because that's not what I meant. Mm. It's not that it's wrong. It's just that they saw it differently. And I think meeting people where they see things is really important to bridging that gap between improvement and change. You know, improvement, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just the, the the tactical, the practical, the process. You know, it makes sense that this should be better. But change comes when we go there together. And I think that means you have to see other people's perspectives. Yeah, it, it creates the... Stigma, I guess, of they understand me. Therefore, yeah. I'm going to be more willing to. Yeah. Like it's the buy-in piece, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. They they understand where I'm coming from. Therefore, okay, let's give this a go. Yeah. As opposed to if you're told, no, you can't do that. We were talking about the Apple and Android war. Oh yeah, before, that's right. And, and yeah. it's the exact same scenario. Yeah. So just to give context to the people listening, I love everything that Apple do. I love everything that Steve Jobs created and, and Apple as a business have created, the, the innovative uh, product, everything. I just won't buy it because yeah. I don't like being controlled to a point where I get told what products I have to use and how I use them and the way I can load things onto my phone. So, But that I think that's the thing is that oh, but I have a real appreciation for it. Therefore, I'm willing to understand and give it a go. And if anyone was ever to, you know, give me an iPhone, however, until yeah. I'm proven otherwise, yeah. I'll just keep using the Android stuff. So uh, yeah. if anyone's listening, I'm happy to accept an iPhone. Oh. 
<laughs> nice one. <laughs> Good plug. Anyone who owns a Telstra Optus store, yeah, throw, one, throw one this way. That's it. So I'm interested in the neuroscience bit because you touched on that. I mean, you're not, you haven't studied in. No. In, no, you just. It is, it is my planned second career though. Yeah, yeah, great. It's already scheduled in for when I'm 65, I'm going to become a neuroscientist. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm really, I think it's come from, you know, I think I, you know, inherently have a, you know, an analytic, analytical mind, right? Yeah. So it makes sense to me if I can see the logical pathway behind something or the process behind something. Um, and so when I was, you know, presented with a challenge of introducing change management into an organisation that is primarily technical in the way that they think and the processes that they use, um, I had I felt like I had to pivot a little bit and I needed to find a different way to talk to people about, you know, about sharing their street corner, why it's important to share mm. their street corner. Um, and so for me, bringing it back to the neuroscience is really important. So sharing your street corner is, again, connecting. Connecting is the release of oxytocin, yeah. et cetera. So um, I just started really to get a good interest or, you know, a keen interest in understanding the science behind our emotions. And what that led me to realise is that, you know, the change management activities which can be sometimes quite sort of standard. You know, we know we need to communicate directly. We know we need to understand impact. We know we need to train and educate, um, all those kinds of things. They're actually based and founded in science, in emotion science. Mm. Um, and so you can almost create a bit of a playbook, mm. you know, to say, well, if I do it this way, then the, the biological response is going to be this. And then that means that we're more likely to do a better job at managing that change. So I think that, you know, the future of change management kind of starts to head into that space where it's really about a deep understanding of why we're doing what purpose, we're doing. Purpose-driven yeah. change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and connecting with others. Yeah. You know, making sure that, you know, we're normalising all of those reactions to change, that they're not, they're not in our control. They just happen. Yeah, you know, I, I think I read something that um, just really hit home for me, which was that we – our brains see change and presume it as guilty until we prove it innocent. So mm. we assume that it's not great, that it's going to be awful until we prove otherwise. It's like the fight or flight yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. So if you have that in your mind when you're managing change as a leader, you know, or as a change manager, then you know that the reactions that you're seeing are not by choice. They're by design. Mm. Then you add the weight of being bitten a couple of times yeah, along right. the way. Yeah, so past experience. Past yeah. experience, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's it's a phenomenal topic. We could talk about I know. this for I'm hours. I'm really fascinated by it. I love it. The I'm gonna go into the Disney world here, but the the cartoon Inside Out, have you ever yeah, watched that? Where they talk good, yes. about the emotions and understanding each individual emotion yep. within someone's brain. Mm. It's fascinating. If not, that is the smartest movie I've ever seen. Yep, in my, I agree. From the way it's created to make a comedy and a kids movie mm. that people can understand, it's it's brilliant. So, yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated about that as well. So you, you talk about the neuroscience and helping understand people's perspective, I guess, from yep. the street corner and, you know, yep. sharing that street corner. And then you talked about resilience yeah. as well. Where does that fit into all this? Yeah, I think... Resilience. So resilience for me came as another angle for me to raise awareness of change management. So, you know, why why it's important to manage a change and lead a change. Um, I wanted to talk to people about, you know, their reactions and, this, you know, our, the strategy for building capability at BAE was really kind of three-pronged. So it was... One, obviously, we needed capability to manage change. So we need change managers whose, you know, you know, core practice is understanding the principles behind managing change. We also need leaders who are really great at leading change. Mm -hmm. But we also need individuals who know how to manage change for themselves, mm -hmm. who know what triggers them, who know how to take control of those negative thoughts and feelings and who know what they need to be able to move through to a space where they can really adopt change and, and be energised by change as opposed yeah. to drained by it. So I wanted to start to talk to people about that that part, that, you know, do you know how to manage it for yourself? And I think, you know, organisations have a responsibility, a deep responsibility to make sure that they're minimising 
the opportunity for people to feel anxious or uncertain. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a greater responsibility on us as individuals to do yeah. that for ourselves. You know, ultimately it's our health and well-being that's at risk if we're not great at yeah, that. Yes, on. So that's why I wanted to talk about resilience. And I was one of those people that was, I'd probably say I was not very resilient when I was younger. I um, used to um, do that whole thing where, still do it sometimes, you know, where you have like a really bad interaction with somebody and then you replay that back later on, but you were way more awesome the second time around. Like you said something really cool. She and said this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I would do that. Um, I would lay awake at night, sort of, you know, replaying Name one person things. that hasn't done that. Yeah, right? that's right. We yeah, all it do it. Yeah. yeah. But, but you it were, sorry, you would lay awake at night. Yeah, I'd lay awake at night and worry about things. And I just, I don't know, I sort of realized that it was not helping me. So my mm. thoughts were not serving me. No. And I didn't know at the time, wasn't probably until I started to put together, you know, a bit of a course or a package around, you know, how to build resilience, that I was actually following a bit of a process for myself as I got better at that. And I, and I built my own resilience by finding a way to call myself out when I was doing those, those types points, of things. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and then really kind of getting curious about why I might be thinking those things and what's behind it. I started to connect more with people. So sharing my street corner um, and that just helped me kind of let it go. So I didn't know when I was doing that, that that was a process that others could also yeah. follow. So I built like this little course around it. Even had um, back to Disney. Even had Elsa at the end, letting it? letting it go. Funny letting story go. when I <laughs> when I delivered this course once to a group of engineers, I did the whole let it go. Oh yeah, and it felt so flat. Yeah. They were just looking at me, going, "Yeah, no, no wrong, hit, wrong did, audience." Didn't yeah. hit them. <laughs> <laughs> but I did deliver it to a group of graduates once, and yeah. they all joined yeah. in, and but, we had a nice little sing along. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Um, but that's been like one of my, I reckon it's one of the biggest privileges I've had at BAE. I think I've managed to somehow talk to about, I don't know, five, 600 people about that process that yeah. I use. And again, it's just small things. And what's the general feedback you've yeah. received from that? Um, just that it's, it's so, it makes sense. Yeah. And that it doesn't feel... I think a lot of resilience programs can be sometimes overwhelming. There's lots of different aspects. And yeah. So you bring the human element to the resilience. So I'm interested in this because we run resilience mm. programs and all that. So this uh, absolutely fascinates yeah. me. Can you give us a real three-step approach that you have? Is that how it goes? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, that actually yeah. is it. So the, the, the sort of four steps, I four guess, steps. which really is three, but the four steps is call yourself out you know, and recognise that you might be adding negative emotions to a situation, negative thoughts. So how do we get to that point where we can call – how do we become self-aware enough that we can call ourselves out? I think you need to know what your triggers are. Yeah. And I think you have to practice on those smaller triggers So first. understand the behaviour first. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. critical, isn't it? Like I – mine is um, if I'm late to something, like triggered. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think there's a company in South Australia that Michelle and I – did a a workshop it was about two and a half thousand well just over two thousand people I should say in this company yeah and we did you know thirty odd workshops with this company big utility in South Australia so you probably work it out who is yeah the I think everyone there knows my trigger points <laughs> in the sense because we were talking about the same sort of thing is how do we understand our habits and our triggers yeah. and what, what how do, and how do we break that and becoming late i think when you said that i smiled straight away it's almost like if i know i'll give an example my wife and i were going out for dinner kids are running around screaming yada 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 all that stuff i need to be somewhere at 7 30 i understand it takes half an hour to get there to this place that i need to be but my wife thinks no it's not 7 30 yet so she yeah. has a different perception of time <laughs> so we're we're not leaving the house until 7 30 it's all right it's fashionably late all that stuff right. she gives me the, it's almost like someone switched the kettle on for me yeah that the the blood just starts to boil <laughs> yeah. and gurgle. i can feel it sort of gurgling away yeah. <laughs> and it's so interesting is i don't understand what my fixation for time is i don't get it and i think over time and i think that program was actually went hang on and the more and more i spoke about it the more and more i recognized what i was doing to the yeah. point now I'm not really that fussed. I'm okay. I like to be stick to time because I don't like to put people out, all that sort yeah. of stuff. But yeah, I'm not that fussed anymore. Yeah. So it's amazing the yeah. 
when when you do recognize it and yeah. you, you actually need to spend time to sit down and think about I think it. Think you do, yeah. And I think um, what I realized over the long time of you know kind of unknowingly applying this process is that I started to build a bit of a library. Like I knew which what my sort of you know little triggers were, mm. which meant that when there were bigger things. Like it doesn't mean that I don't react. Do you it, write them down or how do you? I don't know. When you say a library. Like just in my mind, I guess. Yeah. Like I just kind of know the things that are going to get me going. Like, you know, being late, coming home to piles of tiny laundry. Like, just, yeah. you know, I just know that those are the little things. <laughs> and I start and I can now pick up on the the biological response to that. Like like you just said, you feel your blood boiling. Like yeah. it's just stress response re-triggering mm. again. And so I think when you can practice getting control of that on those smaller things that that are not as consequential yeah that then you're able to shortcut it when there are bigger things perhaps that are going on in your life so Mm. i think you can only build resilience if you have an opportunity to practice on smaller things if i don't i don't know that would start small not everyone can walk into vae systems and build a change management program no (laughs) so but i mean that in in, yeah i say that as a like in all jest but it's the simple fact that you know you learn to take a few steps before you can run it's it's that simple yeah that's the scenario we're in yeah everything is a journey everything we do and becoming and um gaining control of our own emotions is a a lifelong journey not just something you can do at the flick of a switch yeah someone said to me the other day that um i was in this really um challenging meeting and i was presenting to some senior executives and afterwards i got some feedback that you know um oh you you were really calm and controlled the whole way through that was you know really i was quite impressed by that this person said but they didn't know that in the background you know wringing my hand so it's not that i'm you know in control and I don't feel those things. I think it's just you, you just over time you just start to recognise when when to let it take hold and when not to, mm. you know. And I guess it's easier on things that you're practised in, whereas when there are other things that come out of left field, yeah, you know, you've had some vulnerable moments with my team where you kind of think, oh, gosh, I didn't expect that and it really floors you and it just takes a little bit longer for you to apply that process. Yeah. But it's there, I've got it. So I feel confident that I think resilience comes from feeling confident that you will be able to overcome something even if you didn't do it today. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think the the closer we get to understanding that when there is a problem, we'll, we will be able to deal with that yeah. problem yeah. in that moment. I think the next step comes from being able to then not think about it, not yeah. go to bed and keep yourself up at night exactly. and play those scenarios back. Yeah. At you. I think that's the next phase that we yeah. then work on. I'm not by any stretch uh, an expert in resilience or anything like that. Yeah. I read a lot. That's yeah. where I come from. Yeah. I have a lot of books. You walked in and saw my library of books as you walked yeah. in. So I just read a lot. But Michelle, our business partner that, um, of Synergy IQ, she runs a program, Resilience. I've learned so much through yeah. her. But, yeah, I think. It it is a stick. So so you started off understanding the, um, the understanding triggers, the yeah. trigger. Yeah. What's the next? So step? yeah, so calling yourself out. And then the second one is to get curious and really think through that pro- through that response that you're having. So you know what are my previous experiences that are causing me to think this way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is so pertinent in change because you know sometimes we react to something, um, you know, a reorg or you know a, a new system or something like that. And, we, and we're surprised by the reaction that we might have, but it's probably because the last time something like this was implemented, it wasn't great. Yeah. So you're just kind of remembering those things. So I think it's just important to think through, well, why am I reacting like that this time? Is that something that, you know, is real or is it something that's perceived? Mm. You know, is this something where perhaps I could think differently about it? Is there something funny about the situation? So just having a few kind of questions. In Have I got all the information? Yeah, exactly. You know, am, yeah. I making a, am I making a, a, a yeah. judgment or an emotional decision yeah. based on the fact that something hasn't been communicated right. properly? Yeah. And I learnt, um, I went to a resilience course at Samri um, late, last, late last year and they, the, one of the instructors uh, wrote down an acronym on the board which has just stuck with me, which is um, the word WAIT. W-A-I-T. Mm-hmm. What am I thinking? Oh, yeah. So every time 
you know, I call myself out. I know that I've gone somewhere I don't want to be. And then I just like, okay, wait, you know, and think through that. And then I usually try to then go to the third step, which is that sharing with my street corner and try to find someone else to talk to about my thoughts, um, which has that sort of double um, benefit of one, I'm connecting with another. So it's, it's helping to relieve my own stress response. But two, I'm also getting a bit of perspective mm. um, and seeing how someone else might see that. And I think that whole process, you know, that sort of step one, two, three, you know, call yourself out, get curious and share your street corner. When you do that enough times, you can let it go. And mm. that's kind of that fourth step. That's the fourth yeah. step. Yeah. That's the song. Yeah. That's when you break out yeah. your song and dance. <laughs> Shoot some ice around. And I know that there are lots of like skills that underpin a step, like a four-step process. Like that, that's oh, not all it is. But yeah. But that's, that's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. We're getting into the Elsa world again. But that's yeah, right. I think that really it is. Is Everyone's seeing the picture of what's on top of the ocean is that iceberg and then yep. underneath there's this big behemoth piece of ice Absolutely. that's got everything else underneath it. Um, resilience, yes, yeah, starts internally. Yeah. Has to. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it is a, a – you said that there's a place that the business has to play. What do you think that is? Mm. I think businesses have a responsibility to understand these things that we're talking about now, to mm. understand their people, to understand – So when you say businesses, let's clarify leaders. Yeah. Leaders? Yeah, I H- guess H- so. HR? Who, who, are these, who are these people that need to understand? I think it's the people who are driving and implementing change, like who are make the decision makers, the yeah. people who are saying, we're going to do this. This is the direction we're taking our organisation mm-hmm. in. These are the changes we want to make. I think those people have a responsibility to make sure they're minimising the opportunity for people to react mm. in a negative way. There's a tendency to think that reactions to change are something that something to ignore maybe or yeah. or you know that you know if we if we don't think too much about it it'll go away but it never ever does. Mm. And I th- and I believe that you know I have a responsibility as an individual to know how I'm going to react to change but I think that my leaders and the people making decisions inside businesses have a responsibility to make sure they're planning those changes effectively and they're creating the spaces that people need to react. Yeah so that we can move through that process yep. and adopt. So you talked about the 80-20 rule earlier. Yeah. And you mentioned, so I'm interested in what you just said there, that look, as a leader and you, and you would be privy to this many yeah. times, there you understand that you're going to get a bit of kickback yeah. from, from the people within the business. Uh, it's not going to appease everyone. There are going to be people who are going to be disgruntled, go home, complain, start a little bit of an internal civil yep. war. It, it, it happens, right? Yep, absolutely. And it, and change from a leadership level comes at the from. I'd like to think it always comes from the best place. Yeah. Right. We know that it doesn't does. happen. Yeah. But yeah no, it comes no, from a, it comes from a, what this person yeah. is making the decision they're making at that time to the best of their ability from their street corner. From their street corner, yeah. correct. So these leaders they need to understand other people's street corners before they make that change because if if that's the case then how do you mm. how do you play with the simple fact that you're going to be fighting against other people not fighting but yeah. uh, working with other people to yep. understand their perspective and but or where do you draw the line and just say actually you know what you, you guys you actually need to put up with this because this is what is best for business right now and yeah. you know where, where does all that come into play i i believe that you know that scenario that you're describing is a traditional bell curve mm. you know there will always be people who are annoyingly excited about something Correct. and people who will be really disgruntled and i think we spend sometimes too much time trying to work with the people who may never get there yeah you know and i think that when i talk about the responsibility of leaders it's the responsibility for you know that that healthy normal reaction to a change Mm. which you know i don't know what this is i'm not sure if it's good for me you know can you help me work through that yeah yeah and so that's the piece i think that we should be focusing on oh yeah absolutely and the disgruntled bit i think there's you know, a responsibility to understand it and to provide space for it, to listen to those thoughts and feelings. But ultimately, 
there is a point where, you know, you know you're not going to bring everyone along with you and that can get to spaces where you start to talk about how you would coach someone through that particular situation. But you can't please everyone. No. And that's okay. It's okay not to please everyone. But I do see too many examples where um, we're pleasing too few. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all see it. Yeah. And we see it in the news every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the fine line. And I think that's why leadership is so tough. It and is. I think that's why we encourage leaders to work on themselves yeah. and grow themselves because you're going to make a decision <laughs> at some point in your life where people are going to be pissed off. Yeah. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's then about trying to minimise that effect by the way you go about it or it's trying to minimise that effect by seeing other people's street corners and you do yeah. all that pre-work but it's still at the end of after doing all that, you're still going to yeah. – there are still going to be some people – those people, I believe, potentially going to be left behind. Yeah, that's right. And that's mm. a choice, really. Mm. It's um, their choice, yeah. But I like to think that we can give them that choice. Correct. You know, that choice to, to say, well, I've heard, I've heard the perspective of my leaders and I understand the context of the decision for this business and I still choose to, to go this way, to mm. stay at this end of the bell curve. Yeah. I just don't know that we give them that choice because we just create too much room mm. for people to, you know, use the lack of explanation and the lack of inclusion as a reason why yeah. they're staying at that end. So, tell I'm interested in your building a team from scratch. Yeah. In a in a world that is um, different. Actually, you know what? I want to start with working in a defence environment. Okay. <laughs> and then building a team. So working in a defense environment, number one, how do you place that within your own mm. world? And I ask with, question. I ask that with sincerity in the sense that there are some, you know, yeah, moral issues sure. with, that go on with shipbuilding and BHP have the same thing with, yep. with uh, you know, digging up the earth. So there's all these environmental issues. Uh, how, do, how does that sit with you? Yeah, I would um I would be lying if I said that it you know doesn't sit uneasy with me. There are elements of every business I've ever worked for where I I know that I'm not entirely comfortable mm -hmm. with everything that we do. And I don't know that that's industry specific. You know, I used to work for um L'Oreal Cosmetics. Yeah. Which I loved because I got free makeup all yeah. the time. Um but you know there's an Tested element on animals. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's an element of that industry that you know is is not great for our environment either. Um, I think what I try to focus on is some, you know, it's not necessarily within my control what organisations do, like what they choose to make. It is within my control who I choose to work for. Yeah. Um, but I think that companies like BAE who are providing thousands of jobs and dedicating to a capability that will stand the test of time, it's it's a worthwhile pursuit to help the people in that organisation. Mm. And I also think that, you know, whether or not some of the products that we make, um, let's face it, they're not making soft toys, we know that, uh, but those products are often used for good. But I also believe that the innovation that comes from it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And what it's doing for the world, the amount of money that they're putting into study and research and development. We see that trickle through yeah. society. You know, Wi-Fi started off in the last early 50s. Before that, I don't know exact dates, but yeah. it was – and then we saw it come mainstream late, you know, late 1900s. Mm. And so I just think the, the – I, yeah, I put that hat on in the sense that, in the sense that it's creating some amazing jobs. And, and yeah. The innovation that's coming through is fantastic. But yeah, I just think we, I wish we had a, a more of a greater good feel yeah. on it. What I know is that it is not within my control whether countries will take arms against each other. Yeah. But I know that you know the people who work for BAE have a deep, deep sense of pride that the work they're doing is protecting the people who are in those situations. Yeah, it's not for offence, it's defence. Yeah, 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 you know, it's, taking it's care of them. protecting their families who are living here and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, uh, so moving on from that, sorry, I digressed a little <laughs> bit. The, uh, 
the building of a team yeah. is is something that a lot of people are sort of placed with and sometimes they tend to take on too much themselves and yeah. don't want to go through the recruitment, it's too hard and all this. How did you what are some of the pitfalls that you came across yeah. from, from building that team and what's some of the wins that you had as well? This has been a huge learning curve mm. for me. And I, I think, you know, for context, like I was I was an individual contributor this mm. time, you know, two years ago. Mm. And then um, you know, there was one other person in the team with me at this time last year. And now I think we have about ten people in the team. And okay. yeah, we've we sort of onboarded roughly one person every month. Um, and there's two things that have been part of that journey for me. So one, just the actual skill of building a team. I think that's something in and of itself. And mm. and actually, finding the right people. Yeah, yeah. And I think I have been so lucky in that some people inherit teams. I've been able to build one right mm. from the very beginning. And so that's had yeah pitfalls and and wins. Um, but the other journey as well is actually me learning how to lead. Yeah. You know, I think I had carefully cultivated this career where, you know, I didn't have direct reports mm. and that I was, you know, consulting and advising and coaching and helping and, you know, but ultimately probably with not too much responsibility for the people that I was really working with. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that's completely different now. And I I want to be really good at it. But I'm mm. new at it too, so I'm learning. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Every day. Ask Gabriella. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. But I think um, – so, okay, so what have I learned? So the first thing I learned really quickly was um, the interview process is a terrible way to uh, really know yeah. someone. Um, and that's, you know, it's open to fault really that you meet someone Watford two hours probably at most and then offer them a, a role um and so you know because that experience of them is so small you don't always get it right mm. um but on the whole I've, i think i've got it right mm. and you know when we've learned perhaps that we didn't have the right fit it's never been because of technical skill i think that um you know we've always brought people into the team who have been great at their jobs mm. like they know what to do but what we have learned is that there's a specific type of change manager that's successful at BAE and it's the type of change manager that's able to adapt and pivot mm. and to and to let go of the process mm. if you need to. So yep. just go in and, you know, I'm just going to do this, you know, this little bit here, provide this bit of coaching there, you know, help with the communication material over there, like mm -hmm. just small things and, and to be able to draw – um, reward and satisfaction from small things yep. I think is a skill that we've needed. Mm -hmm. So where we've had experiences where people might not be or not able to draw that reward from small things really do need to see the end-to-end -end delivery to be able to feel like they did a good job. Yep. That hasn't always worked for us. Um, so we've, so I've learned that. Like I've learned that it's less about technical skill. And it's, uh, it's not like crap when I say it because I feel like you read like 10 million books that tell you that that's thing. the truth. Yeah. yeah. But I learned it. You yeah. Know, it's not the technical skill. It's all of those other mindsets and attitudes. Yeah. It's it's the human being behind it. Yeah. yeah. That if they are, are they on board with the purpose that you're on board with? That's first? right. You know, yeah. they, are they going to get on the same bus yeah. that you're on? Yeah. Um, because, yeah, technically most people, they go through uni, they, yeah. they're technically pretty sound yeah. at what they do. So now it's about personality and, and understanding who you are and what yeah. makes you tick and what makes you, you know, how do you react under pressure? That's right. Yeah. How do you react when you get told you need to do something by a certain time? And that, that you know, that's going to happen. Mm. Uh, do, you, do you kick up a fuss or do yeah, you, that's right. you know, put your head down and get on with it and, yeah. and try to deliver for the team and for the greater good? So, Absolutely. Yeah, it is an interesting world. Yeah, I think I tried really hard to bring diversity into the team. It is tricky with change management because there's not a lot of diversity from a gender perspective. So you're talking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I, I, yeah, we, <laughs> there was we had a, we had a, a team of plus ten, and I was the only male yeah. in the team. Yeah. So yes, I do. Well, I feel like I'm balancing it out for yeah. the rest of BAE, which is like mostly <clears> male. So. Um, but, but, you know, I want diversity in the team, but that's I think I've realised that the diversity comes through, you know, how people go about doing things and, and the street corners they're willing to share. Yeah. And, um, so what we've got now is a team that 
have all come from completely different backgrounds and who all manage change in a slightly different way but who hand on heart can say that they are advocates for the people at BAE. Yeah, great. And I think that kind of trumps everything. It does. Yeah. So how do we get more men into change? I don't into know. The change what is it? Because they go more the project management space, do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like when I when I have an opinion about this, I'm generalising, you know, and I do wonder if it's got something to do with the perception that change management's a soft mm. skill. And, and I think, you know, um, historically women have been better at picking up on the nuances of emotion mm. and and feel more comfortable asking what some men might consider to be personal questions. Mm. You know, I think there's a difference between... It's being, the vulnerability aspect. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I just wonder if perhaps there's a stigma maybe associated with it as a discipline. I don't know for sure. Um, but I want to. that's what I want to change at BAE. Like yeah. I've seen lots of men who once we talk about you know, the science behind change management. They're like, oh, well, that, that makes lots of sense. Mm. I could do that. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we're trying our hardest to kind of round out. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I've often thought about this and I've been asked, that, you know, there's photos of our team and I'm the only guy in it. And, yeah. And there was this one photo that I was the only male in it, but I was standing in the middle. And I said, I'll never forget someone said, that looks odd. Yeah, because right. it almost felt like this the way they perceived it was that the team was standing around me. Oh. Yeah. And I was just like, how completely wrong are you are like I'm irrelevant in this in yeah. this business because the, I we rely so much more yeah. on the expertise of our of our consultants in, in the team compared to me that yeah. just sort of sits in the background and manages everything else. So but the I've I've often thought about it and Men, I believe, and I don't want to get into this gender sort of thing, but and I just think the way the brain works, I guess, is we just like to fix things. We like yeah. to see end results, right? Yeah. So project management probably is a little bit more appealing because, A, we get given a task to deliver a widget and mm. we deliver a widget and we sort of go, mm. okay, cool, we've delivered that widget, yeah. awesome. And yeah. that's sort of the way our brain works. And this whole change management piece, it's very intangible in the sense that it's it's delivering and working with people mm. and helping them deliver that widget as opposed to – so there's no sort yeah. of um, – I don't know. I, that's kind of where I've got it sitting at, but I don't know if that's correct because yeah. I love the change management piece. I'm actually not a qualified change manager. I've just worked with so many of them that I know more about it than most people, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Right. So. Uh, yeah, and I think that I could probably walk into any business and do the change because you know I know the prosci, I know the ad car, yeah. I know all the other, all the all the above just by seeing yep. it every day. Probably working on proposals every day, so I know all that. Yep. But so I actually think it's really, really interesting. Yeah. And and I'm constantly knocking on. I just had a conversation yesterday. We've got one of the guys in our team uh, is a training partner. His name's Andrew. He's been on this podcast as well. Okay. And he works with helping businesses through their training programs. So say, for instance, BAE puts in a new new system, a new product, new software. Uh, how do we then make sure that the people actually understand how to use this? So Andrew, someone like Andrew will come in and you yeah. know, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's building a program, whether it's online learning, however it might be, he'll put together whatever the company needs and roll it out. And so we had this conversation yesterday about have you ever thought about like stepping into the change piece as well? He's like, well, yeah, I have. I'm really interested in it actually. Yeah. So he's going on that journey as well of because of, he's doing the training element where he can see an outcome but now he's thinking actually there's this really good piece of actually just getting people on, on a journey which is yeah really, really. I wonder if it's come from like the, you know, I mean change management as a discipline is relatively new. Mm. Maybe it's come from, you know, that sort of origin of it through a HR kind of lens, yeah, which possibly. has a, a skew towards women. Um, and so then it's about shaking shaking that off in a sense, isn't it? That, you know, it's it's a people, it's just a people thing and, and that's a soft skill and, mm. you know, not all men are good at that. And I just, I don't know, I just reject that. I don't, mm. I think that men are as good as women mm. at picking up on all of those nuances and all the contextualization that's needed to implement change. I just think that we haven't spent the time to educate mm. people about it. I think you are right though. It is relatively yeah. new in the 
like change has always been around. So it's not new from a change perspective, but it's new from a, a focus yeah. point of view that's focused on the yeah. ju- human element, the journey part, the organisational part, the purpose part, as yeah. opposed to just delivering the widget. That's right. Because back yeah. in the day, if we needed we needed to d- deliver a car on time in the, you know, in the industrial yeah. revolution and was get that car through the, through the workshop to the end and we don't really care how it gets there, just do it. And, and I think that's why we will start to see a shift mm. in the demographic towards men in change management because that has been the, the historical view of, you know, it's a, like a suck it up mm. kind of view. Like, and I think that's for everything. Mm. You know, men have always been asked to get over it, mm. you know, to just suck it up and move on, you mm. know, be a man. Mm. Isn't that yeah. the, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and that's changing. Mm. Like we're now starting to see that that doesn't work. And it never has worked. And that's why we have so many challenges with mental health for men, you know, and high suicide rates because we're asking them to do something that's inherently not natural, which is to ignore the, the response and the reaction that they're having to change. Um, if we stop ignoring it and start working with it and through it, then we all adopt change and we're all energised by it and we're better for it. Yeah. I think it's men that put that pressure on themselves, though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't think. But it's well. systemic, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But you know, be a man is generally said to you by your dad yeah, or your right. grandfather yeah, or someone like that. Down. Yeah, as opposed to, uh, I, I would, I don't ever recall anyone in my family who was female telling me to step mm. up and be a man. I've never ever experienced that, but I can absolutely experience from the, other the, men. From from yeah. Men. yeah. So I think it's we put our pressure on our own selves and then go into this little pit. So. Yeah, and it's a unique, unique challenge in a company like BAE because you think, you know, the, the demographic of that company is primarily men mm. and so that's, you know, a huge proportion of a workforce who have never or rarely been given permission to feel their emotions when they are presented with change. So there's a big unpacking of that, I think, and... And creating a safe space for that to be normalised. And I think that's, I don't know, I see that as my role. Like that's the legacy I want to leave is, you know, a workforce of of individuals who are really comfortable with the way they react to change mm. and know how to work through it. And businesses, leaders, decision makers who are also comfortable with that fact. All right. We generally finish off our podcast with some rapid fire questions oh okay (laughs) now i'm nervous yeah i'm gonna put you on the spot (laughs) okay well first one is one that i ask every single time and is what is your favorite book and Mm. and and if you can't answer it from a favorite book what is one book that you have gifted the most to someone in the sense that you've or you've told them to read it as a way of learning yeah i have a few favorite books actually yeah so um I guess recent history, I have really enjoyed Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. Mm-hmm. Like that's been great. We didn't pay, yeah, we didn't pay you to do that. No, no. you didn't. No, no, yeah. No, <laughs> it's Michelle online. runs a, a Dare to Lead course. It's has, has one coming up in a week or so. <laughs> anyway, it's awesome. we're good. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a it good practical book. Yeah. Um, so I really like that. That's sitting her whole, her whole Her whole series, yeah. every single book she's written yeah. is gold. Her podcast is amazing too at the moment. You talk about vulnerability. Her podcast is fantastic. Yeah. Talk about vulnerability and I am digressing because it's supposed to be quick fire but anyway her her, um her first book the gifts of imperfection Mm. i don't reckon i've ever read a book where i've like and you know i'm gonna go out of the 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 social norm here i cried my eyes out yeah like i i have never been more impacted by a book and that was yeah a couple of years ago i read it and i just remember i was even driving i was listening to an audio book i think yeah and i was driving along the road and like just breaking out, it just hits all the right, mm. all the nerves that you, and all the lies that you tell yourself. Yeah. I think that's the bit that I got the most out of it. Yeah, I think like that um, when she talks about the myth that, yeah. that you know, trust comes before vulnerability mm. and that it's actually the other way around. Like yeah. that was just, yeah. oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Of course you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you've researched this. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, sorry, yeah. Dare to Lead. Yeah, okay, so Dare to Lead. Um, the other one that I really – I read last year that I loved was Becoming 
by Michelle Obama. Oh, yes. And that was just a wonderful insight, you know, such a strong woman. But yeah. also, again, that vulnerability, like she spoke about her experiences in the White House and I don't know, I guess she thinks she's, you know, they're going to put on a front about how great it is. And mm. she was really open about some of the things that were not so great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and then the other one in terms of a long-time favourite that I recommend to others is um, The Book Thief. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. Is Marcus? I can never say his last name. Yeah. Shushak or something yeah, yeah. like that. Um, but I remember reading that and that was a book that really moved me. But um, I think that, you know, the concept of representing death with humanity, you know, was really fascinating for me. Okay. And I'm going to have to I'm, yeah, yeah. that. I'm it's really to great. The book thief. Yeah. All right. Put that in the show. <laughs> um, all right. So other than Elsa, if you could be one Disney character, who would it be? One Disney character. Um, but who, which, well, okay. Which Disney character would best describe you or if you could oh. be one? Oh, I don't know the you? answer to that. I don't know. I like lots of Disney characters. I don't even know if they would describe me. Okay. Though. So which one would you be? Which one do you look up to? Which one do I look up to? Um, well, okay, so so total disclaimer, I basically cry at Disney movies all the time. <laughs> Don't we all? No, no. <laughs> like it doesn't matter how many times I watch them. Um, well, they're so well written. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. and also I, you know, I think I had this dream one day that I was going to be um, an Australian Idol star. Okay, I wanted to be a singer. So whenever I like all the music comes on, the emotion yeah. wells up inside me, and I just cry. So is that going to be before or after the neuroscience? Oh gosh, I think I, I think I might have missed that window. Actually, <laughs> I remember when I turned thirty and I I cried, and my mum was like, well, "Why? I was like, it's not that bad." I'm like, "Yeah, but now I can't be an Australian Idol." <laughs> <laughs> The voice is going to appear. Yeah, right. There was a 73-year-old guy on the yeah. voice the other day. Yeah. I don't actually even know that I can sing, but I just, you know, had that dream. Um, so I really like, uh, I feel like it's a little cliche, but I really like Moana. Oh, yeah. I think that's a cool character. Yeah. Um, and also um, uh, the kid out of Coco. What's his like? His name, is it? Oh, I know. The Miguel, yeah. I think. Miguel. He's awesome too. You know, just, just I think, you know, watching those characters with, that sort of struggle between who they know they are, like mm. actually first learning who they are, who they know they are, but then with the expectations that are on them. And it's never give up. That. Never give up attitude they have as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Also, that Coco movie is just such a beautiful movie. It is. Yeah. All right. What's name one thing in your bucket list? Um, I really want to go to Russia. I don't even know why. Oh no, I do know why. Okay, so back to the book topic. <laughs> okay. I love Anna Karenina, the book. Okay. And um, so when I read that book, I just had this really romantic view of Russia oh, and Russia. I've always really wanted to go there, which has only been fueled further by that recent Stan show that's on at the moment called The Great, Okay. which is about Catherine the Great. Oh. Um, it's highly inappropriate. You know, it's got sort of some foul language in it and yeah. some funny concepts, but I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, too. So, yeah, so definitely go to Russia. Favourite TV show? Um, other, than, other than Go to Russia? Yeah. Again, I feel like I don't always have like a I, – maybe I live in the moment. No, I don't know, you, right? You, you, so, I you're like most, but one that comes to mind. Yeah, right. Yeah. So recently I have really and thoroughly enjoyed Killing Eve, mm. um, okay. probably season one and two. And the Americans, I binged oh, through Americans all six seasons of the Americans the spies, recently. Yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah, I watched that a while ago. Yeah, I'd never watched it, okay. and um, and then I um, finally managed to get myself a Foxtel subscription, and I just binged yeah. it. Brilliant, it was great. Yeah. Last question. I love this question, and I'm putting you on the spot here. But what's your favorite dad joke? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Favorite dad joke? Well, we don't we don't have dad jokes because so I have three little boys, okay. and so we've been telling lots of knock knock jokes. Okay, um, but I do love a really silly joke. So anyway, so the the couple that are going around the house at the moment are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so knock knock. <laughs> Who's there? Dwayne. Dwayne who? Dwayne the bath before I drown. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. It's terrible. Isn't it's it? so good. It's so bad that it's yeah. good. Um, and my the kids other one. told me knock knock joke. I'm gonna get in on this, Dad. Dad. Oh yeah. They, my, they came to. They came and go, Dad. Knock knock. So I'll do it to you. Knock knock. Who's there? I did up. I did up who? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. Yeah. I love it. I laughed for hours. It's great. If you can just use them again and again and again. Absolutely. That's a good thing about kids with not juice is that they just don't get tired of them. Yeah. The um so I've so one the other one that we like a lot is um so knock knock. Who's there? Europe. Europe poo. No Europe. Walk straight into that. Brilliant. All right. Well we'll end it there. Thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing chatting to you. It's so good to hear your journey and growing. And it's, you know what? I think it's really fantastic to see that a company like BAE is taking on board change and I'm really understanding yeah. it. I think that's a testament to you. I think that's, you know, you've been able to take them on that journey as well and you and the team. So well done to that. Thank so you. just quickly, lastly, how do we find you? Um, terribly. I have... Uh, Obviously, you can email me yeah. on my email at work. So, yeah. it's um, kylie.morton at baeusystems.com. Yeah. Um, but also, I have a LinkedIn profile. So, LinkedIn. completely open to, you know, messages Anyone on LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. Connecting. Perfect. Yep. Beautiful. I reckon that's it. Thank Thanks. you very much. We'll catch you next time. Thank Cheers. you. This was fun. It is fun. See ya. Bye. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump onto the Synergy IQ Facebook page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.